supersonic. 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 Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. Hey there, my name is Paul Barron. I'm the founder of I Am Donna. We are the restaurant chain on a mission to revolutionize the kebab. In 2016, we opened our first site in Leeds with massive ambitions to go global. But first, we needed a change. Being a chef, I've always been a bit skeptical about being pushed down the technological route. But what it's done for labor and customer service has completely changed the game for us. We partnered with Vita Mojo to introduce their all-in-one restaurant platform. We now take 100% of our orders digitally through kiosks, click and collect and delivery channels. We've waved goodbye to the manual processing of delivery orders as we now have all our delivery partners integrated through VitaMojo. We only need to do one menu push when updating menus across all platforms. Orders from all channels come into one screen in the kitchen making the operation faster and more efficient. The throughput is four times faster and we've seen a 35% increase in ATV. Our partnership with VitaMojo has transformed I am Donna. It's a massive part of our revolution. Find out more at vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. Hospitality event planners and venues, listen up. This is for you. Are you tired of hassle and inefficiency when it comes to event planning, especially around pre-ordering food and drinks? Let me introduce you to my friends at creventa.com, your digital solution to simplify and streamline all of your events. With Creventa, you can minimize admin time, maximize cost efficiency, and optimize all of your revenue streams. Customers are delighted with Creventa when they use it. A great example of that is the head of meeting and events at Malmaison and Hotel Duvan, who said, Creventa saves us days in planning and event execution. The new allergen function gives guests peace of mind. My team wouldn't be without it. Whether it's a party, corporate event, award ceremony or wedding, Creventa is here to make your life in events simpler. Say goodbye to wasted time, money, staffing costs and food waste. With Creventa, you can save up to 18% on food waste alone. Event planners and venues, don't let event planning be a headache. Visit creventa.com today and experience the future of seamless event management. Hi, so I'm back at Brown Bear Studios in Middle Street in Brighton and I'm having a real good time down here. Just feels so welcoming. They've got some really cool kit here as well. I'm actually thinking about taking a pass here to co-work a little bit more and get out the flat and actually go and meet some people. The last time I actually had a pass was at Platform 9 and what happened was, and this is in Hove Town Hall, I actually got to know a lot of people so then I'd spend half my day talking so I really thought, right, get back to just being yourself so that you can actually get some work done. But I think you know, it's definitely something that we need in our lives, which is being together, being, you know, in an office environment perhaps, and 
really sort of grown culture and connecting with people. People's a real big subject for our next guest and also leadership and how to get the best out of teams. And our next guest, I'm delighted to say, I'm so pleased about this, is Jane O'Reardon, who's the chairman of Flight Club, Turtle Bay and Caravan and has been much, much more over the years. I was really lucky that I got to know Jane through Hospitality Rising and it was a speculative email really from me just to talk to her about it and get her advice because the wisdom that's there and the want from her to really make sure that hospitality is as well publicised as possible and as exciting a prospect for people as possible was, you know, the way that we connected. So I was being a bit cheeky and just says, would you come on my podcast? So I'm really glad that we managed to get it together. I'm so excited to have Jane on and I think you're going to really enjoy hearing her story, hearing all of her tips and tricks and tales and all that stuff. And I think there's going to be a lot for you to take from this podcast to take back to your place of work, your teams, and also for you to really excel in your career. So it gives me the most big cheese pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is Jane O'Reardon, who, amongst many other things, is chairman at Turtle Bay Flight Club and Caravan. Hello. Hello. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I said it to Nick Jones. I always pause just in case. It's like that's not my job at all. What are you talking about? You've got the wrong the wrong chat GPT chat stream um, when you've been doing your research. So yeah, brilliant, good. I've got that right. So what's happening today? Bank Holiday Friday, kind of. Oh yeah, big barbecues, all planned. Nice <laughs> and hordes of children. You said might swarm upon you. Yeah, there's nothing like a bank holiday weekend and free food when they would come. <laughs> ideal all righty well i think uh we've only got to know each other lately and i saw you from afar uh, in a room a while about a while back at peach and i never actually got the chance to talk to you um but i think maybe david campbell was talking to you and, and bothering you slightly about hospitality rising and things like that and um you know, and that's how we had a wee chat uh, the other day, just um, just getting a bit of advice from you, really, about hospitality rising, what we could do better and all that stuff. And then I thought, hang on, Jane would be fantastic on this podcast. And uh, you were foolish enough to agree. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people would want to know a lot about you and your life and the jobs that you have and what you're seeing in hospitality and obviously inspiring, uh, you know, young people to come into hospitality and also, you know, females coming through into the boardroom and leading businesses and things like that. So that was the main things I was hoping to talk to you about today, if that was all right. So the first thing I really wanted to just sort of talk about was how did you get to where you got to now? Um, just a, a bit of a potted history to say, you know, the journey that you've been on, um, because it's been a load of things um, and it'd just be really interesting to find that out. Well, I, I didn't get into hospitality through the sort of operator route where I know many people did. I came into it really through the investment route. Um, and like many people, it wasn't where I thought I'd end up. So I'm a mechanical engineer. Mm. I um, I specialise in aerospace. I work for British Aerospace. I was a spacecraft systems engineer, which if you know anything about uh, engineering large projects, which take 20 years to build before they're launched, it's the opposite to hospitality. So the actions you're doing today may have an impact 20 years in the future, unlike hospitality with what you yep. do today. 
you tomorrow. So, and I found the sort of long-term engineering projects quite frustrating. Anyway, I, um, I, I ended up actually going over to the States to do an international space postgraduate at, in uh, Boston. Um, I managed to be very fortunate in that I actually worked as a subcontractor for NASA on the International Space Station. And it was all great, except for the fact that that seemed like an awful long way in the future and uh, didn't really sit with me, I suppose. You, you know, you start when you're younger thinking about what you want to be. And I thought engineering sounds good. I like solving problems. I'll solve problems. But actually, it, it just took too long. The sort of engineering I was in was very, very far in the future. Um, and so I went and did an MBA um, and uh, realized that actually there were much more fun things to do than building spacecraft systems and satellites. Um, and uh, one thing led to another, I ended up being a management consultant, and I arrived back in South Africa helping, at the time, um, the, the Nelson Mandela's new government sort of make the country more competitive. And it was very early days in South Africa. Um, it, it was very good for your sort of for your testing your newfound business skills out. Um, and one of the uh, first clients um, that I actually got to know was was actually the Enthoven family, who, amongst other things, owned a couple of chicken restaurants, but really they were into financial services. And so I ended up working with them both in South Africa and then back in the UK, uh, looking at their investment portfolio, which was mostly financial services. And financial services is just even more dull than uh, long-term <laughs> projects. So I still wasn't finding the industry niche that was really ticking my butts at all. I was thinking this is really not for me. I was far too impatient. I mean, I was young, obviously, and everything had to happen tomorrow. Um, anyway, we had these three, there were three restaurants, three Nando's restaurants, and uh, one of uh, the young, younger uh, version of, of the Enthoven family, a guy called Robbie Enthoven, was running the these three restaurants and I worked with him and his best one of his best friends Charles Lutz and we started um to try and get ahead around these restaurants and I, and I suppose at the time I was still doing some of the other things in the portfolio it was very much coming at it from an investment point of view but working in hospitality was much more enjoyable than all the other sectors I had worked in um and over the next few years as, as well as working in Nando's we also uh, started to buy and build other restaurants. So we started growing Nando's, but we were uh, part of the team. I was part of the team that bought Pizza Express off the market, um, would have been 2003 now, um, and turning around Pizza Express, which was fantastic. And I, I think it was at this point that my mother said, how is it that you did all those engineering degrees and have ended up making pizzas? <laughs> I, was, I think a little disappointed, if I'd be fair to say. <laughs> But I had um, actually never been, never been happier. So it was great. Uh, I was working with people I liked. Uh, we had some great times. We ended up creating Gondola from Ask and ZZ. Worked with some really clever people. Um, we sold that business. Nando's by now is getting bigger and bigger, quietly in the background, and very successfully. We we um, we then bought uh, the same group of people. We bought GBK uh, off of the market, and did the same sort of turnaround with that. Um, and by the, that time, it must have been around 2010, 2011, Nando's was becoming very large and international. It sort of grown up a little bit haphazard. It wasn't very strategic. It had been very much following immigrating South Africans. So I used to joke and say, if you look at the Nando's map of the world, it was it looked a bit like Cecil Rhodes' map of the world, you know, the pink one. Everyone spoke English and played cricket. <laughs> they seemed to be the defining 
So we we then worked um, at building that, and I eventually then as became so big, I joined it full time, joined the board, and led really the international strategy and M and A. Um, and by the time I left in total, I've been with the group about 22 years, um, of which most of that I had worked with Nando's. Um, and I think it's still very much part of my, of my blood and my DNA. Um, but I was quite ready to do another challenge. Um, as I said, I was always looking for something new and I'm particularly always looking for, for things to lean into and, and make a difference to. Um, and so I actually found my current three chair roles all at the same time, which sounds a bit strange, but I, I, I did. Um, and it was it was great. They all sort of fell into place within the first few months of 2019. And I remember at the time thinking, surely these three, they're so different, these three businesses. What are the chances all three of them needing a full-time chair at the same time? Mm. And of course, tr- literally, I think it was 18 months later when I realised exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> But it was, uh, it's been, um, it's been an eventful journey. And I think a lot of the experience I've had, as I said, it's come from managing the investment side rather than managing the operations side, but oh. had fortunate um, experiences of working with some really good operators and having some really good experience. That's amazing. And by the time you had finished Nando's, had the spaceship launched in that time? Well, it was actually quite funny. I think it launched about four or five years before I left. The one I first started working with, wow. which the French, the very first spaceship, which was dreadful, kept taking delays, was, a, I think it was the intelligent upper stage, it was upper stage of the Ariane 5. Anyway, it, it didn't have, fortunately, any humans in it when it took off. And I remember watching the launch thinking, oh, that's you know, fascinating, 20 years later. Anyway, it blew up. Oh, no. <laughs> and I sat there watching it thinking, damn, I hope they're not going to look back and go, who's that line of code back there? <laughs> yeah. What happened in that Wednesday? one <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny and do you know, <laughs> <laughs> well do you know funnily enough um, I started out mechanical engineering so uh, I did a year at Strathclyde I get in by the skin of my teeth um, didn't fare very well I found the pub more than I enjoyed you know double uh, thermodynamics and, and whatever um, and uh, and then ended up in marketing so yeah a much, a much less uh, stressful uh, degree for sure um, so thinking about the three businesses that you're with now, might be good just to talk a bit about them. You know, if people don't know, Turtle Bay Flight Club Caravan, um, you know, I was talking to someone today in Brighton about Turtle Bay and, and they just hadn't heard of it yet, you know. Um, and I was, you know, trying to explain it, but you'll explain it better than me. And also what attracted you to those three in particular? Um, I have to say, first of all, they're very, very different businesses. Mm. So I know they get grouped together just because they haven't have the same chairman, but really yeah. they are businesses um what they actually share in common i think is they all three have very strong um and very competent um senior leadership teams um which is a pleasure to work with um and so turtle bay um has been around a while actually now so um more than 10 years i'd say must be 10 years more than 10 years uh, and it's uh, been a um a great journey for me it's a fantastic brand it was created by um uh, um, Ajith, I don't know if you've spoken to Ajith. Yeah, do you know, I did a bit of, I, I think we did about a year or so when I had an agency, we we did some Turtle Bay marketing stuff. Um, so yeah, we worked with him a little bit back then. Yeah, I mean, he's very creative um, mm. and he came up with this wonderful concept. And so uh, um, the sort of origins of it are 100% him, you know, he's he's um, got, got a great feel for these things. Um, and we, we have 
I suppose at the time it, it had gone through a little bit of a flat patch. It sort of lost its way a bit. Um, and like many of many businesses that were very successful when they first started, it just grew too quickly and it, and it lost its footing because it was just so successful and growing so fast. And, and I did an awful lot of things, which you'll hear before people saying, I went back to basics. We started, um, no, we didn't open any more restaurants. We looked at the ones we had and we really um, built a fantastic team, um, a whole new senior leadership team, which was which have really made a difference. Um, and actually, we focused very hard on what Turtle Bay was really good at. And Turtle Bay is good at having a good time. You go there really to enjoy yourself. It's very, very vibey, very Caribbean, very immersive. It's one of those experiential eating and drinking experiences. It's not casual dining. I said my life explains people it's not casual dining. You might think casual dining from the outside, but there's nothing casual dining about Turtle Bay. Turtle Bay is a hybrid, wet, dry. It's part bar, part restaurant. In fact, it flexes during the day. So we're very busy, literally all day parts. We're, we're busy for brunch. So you can go in at brunch. Uh, we're famous for brunch, actually. Um, um, and then it moves into lunch. We have mid-afternoon drinking and we can go straight into the dinner in the evening. And then we do pre and posts as well. Pre's is the word I learned from my children, by the way. And now seems to become in all of our vernacular. <laughs> and we're pre's, but we do lots of pre's as well. So it's, and because it has this big central island bar, it has a vibe about it, which is uh, very, as I said, nothing to do with casual dining and it, and it flexes in its usage style. So you can come and just have a quick lunch and go, or you can come and have lunch and a cocktail. And most people do the latter. So I would say 75% of people eat and drink at Turtle Bay. Even if they came to eat, they end up drinking. Or if they came to drink, they end up eating. And that, I think, is one of its magics, the fact it flexes like that. It's also, like many experiential dining experiences, very, very um, coherent as a brand. So you really feel like you're away and on a holiday or, you know, it makes you feel like the holiday vibes are there, even if at the end of the day, actually, you might be in Derby. Uh, still, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about Turtle Bay, I mean, we are just about to open our 50th restaurant. It's a, it's a, it's a big business, much bigger than people in London think because we're not in central London. So it's a, it's a truly national train and actually more provincial than national. As I said, we're not in central London. Yes, we're in Manchester and Birmingham and Liverpool, but we're not in central London. And in fact, the most central one is probably the most recent one in Hammersmith, um, which has been phenomenal. We're not in Brighton yet, but watch this space. Well, do you know what was funny? When the person <laughs> said, I had to think for a second, I was like, no, they're not actually. And I thought that would work, you know, that would work so well. Oh, um, so well. There is so much space still for Turtle Bay. There are yeah. many... If you've got a brand, if you've got a brand like Turtle Bay that has three successful sites in Essex, yeah, there's an awful lot of places you can go. Yeah, yeah. So we work in places other brands wouldn't go. Um, it has a great uh, cross demographic appeal, but principally we're young. It's a young brand um, and uh, quite female driven. Um, I think we're famous for cocktails. We probably do more cocktails than what we do, like probably ten million cocktails a year, more than anybody else in the UK. Um, and it and it's and it's uh, it has a very unique position really, and and we have a huge loyalty following because of it because it really sort of resonates with uh, our young customer base, which is why we've uh, we particularly um, uh, during lockdown we did a lot of work on our digital backbone, and now the marketing uh, capability of Turtle Bay is probably top certainly in terms of using TikTok probably top end. Yeah, and you know, we we spoke about that uh, when we had our call. Um, yeah. You know, so I've I've been following it. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course. And I'm I'm actually I'm going to steal some of it because a I think 
the sun shines out of Libby, by the way. Um, I think you've got one of the best marketers, in the, if that, not the mm. um, best marketer in the business the right there. Very, the team is very good, and that's oh, a pleasure. Yeah, fantastic. And I've got a, a Propel social media boot camp coming up soon. Um, and we do it every year, so I'm going to steal some of your examples to show <laughs> the uh, brand, brands that are killing it, you know. I mean, we are. I mean, it's quite extraordinary if you if you have to look. Like, like I don't know if you realise this, but Hammersmith, which opened at the end of March, is now number three on TripAdvisor for the whole of London. There are fifteen and a half thousand establishments in London on TripAdvisor restaurants, and we're number three. And we wow. opened. So it, it is. As I said, we've got a huge loyal following. It's not for everybody. I agree with that, but for we know who we are for, and we really hit it for them, and, and that's a great business to be part of. Um, and let's move on to the next one. So yeah, oh, just just quickly, Jane. What I was yeah. going to say was two things. One is, I think that's a brand skill when you actually know who you're for and who you're not for, rather than okay. trying to please everyone. I, you yeah, know, I, I, I say that I've said that to the team from the beginning. So let's yeah. we. You know, we aren't trying to offer high chairs and kids menus. No. Let's be clear what we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we are not a, you know, we don't do, we do a little bit, but we hardly do any delivery. This is not a delivery brand. This is an experiential go there and think you're going away, you know, escapism brand. And, and we're good at that. Yeah. And we know what matters to the customers that we resonate with. And if you carry on really focusing and drilling down into the, your core customer, and that's what yeah. we do. And also, we have to also mention the music, the fabulous sound system and the playlist that you had, or have still, and I just enjoyed that so much. That was right up my street. Well, it's true, because the brand is very underpinned by music, and there aren't many reggae uh, brands, actually, in the UK, um, and, and our our music is is very distinctive, and it's what it plays all day. And it's not in-your-face loud nightclub music. It's very chilling. It's great, and it just makes you feel good. Yeah. Okay. We better give your other brands some love. Yeah. No, because they are. I said what they have in common <laughs> is a very strong leadership team. So, um, Caravan, I'm sure you're familiar with. It's yeah. very love-based. Sordo Dining has three antipodes with their uh, Kiwi founders, uh, led by the wonderful Laura Harper Hinton. And I, I think they are. They're all three mates. They were working together when they were um in in New Zealand, and they brought their sort of view of of and sharing and world travel. Well traveled. We call well it food. Um, definitely well travelled food and I suppose um, it, I think Miles Kirby who's the chef founder director um, his style of food is very of the vogue at the moment I mean certainly if you were to read the top 10 food places to eat in London chances are you're going to come across one of our caravan sites it's it's sort of more than Asian fusion it's very healthy it's sharing plates there's a lot of veganism it's um, very uh adventurous so you're not likely to go there and see something that's very vanilla you'll see everywhere else some of the food is for the people who want to be challenged it certainly resonates with foodies because it's an interesting flavor combination people tend to go and as i said do small sharing plates it's got a strong coffee backbone um, and like many things that come out of of uh, new zealand and australia um has this works all day and has that sort of cutting edge food driven and it's food led very food led mm. Um, it, 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 it's a city centre brand you know it's not a provincial brand uh, it works very very well when there's a large working population um, and we are actually we're opening another big site in the UK uh, I'm sorry in the UK in London this year and we're opening in Manchester in the beginning uh, or very shortly at the end of this year beginning of next which was very exciting exciting and also I think you know and I don't know who to give credit to. I'm going to give credit to Laura, but there might be more than that. But 
I love to see it when someone is so sure of what the brand's look is, the creative look, the feel, and they would almost rather die than compromise on that. And you can really tell that from the team. You know, I think it's quite fantastic to see. And also with the all day thing, they sort of ripped up the market a bit. And when they when they arrived, I remember Peter Martin at Peach, um, you know, really talking about it. And it was like this spaceship had landed, this place that was going to actually be able to operate all day genuinely. And everyone was like, wow, we've got to go and see this, you know? So it was, it was quite a thing when it arrived, you know? It was wow. And it really does still play in that all-day space better than mm. anybody else. Totally balanced all day. So literally all three day parts, seven days a week, we are busy. In fact, we're busy literally all day. So if you go into some of the bigger sites, you know, there's not a quiet patch. It's a constant buzz the whole time. Um, and I think the underpinning of the coffee is quite important for Caravan. I mean, as you probably know, lots of um, Antipodeans love their coffee. And I've become really addicted to my coffee as a result of being part of the Caravan team. But their coffee business has has grown and grown and probably off the back of one of the benefits of lockdown, I would have said, you know, they obviously, like many people, they closed the restaurants, but because they were still um, doing their own coffee, they they then start, started going much more D to C, whereas historically they had just done wholesale coffee, so independent coffee shops. So if you're an independent coffee shop and you want to have sort of the best coffee in London, chances are you're going to have caravan coffee. So they distribute their caravan coffee into really sort of top-end uh, independent caravan, uh, not independent caravan, but independent um, coffee shops and independent restaurants across London and beyond London, actually. So they've really built up that that coffee business. And then they went into consumer um, during lockdown. It's the first time they did it. So now they're producing pods and they're doing both ground and beans. And the brand that you saw and that you mentioned, that strength of purpose and the, and the simplicity of it, the black and white stark simplicity of it, very quality driven, that has come, come through the coffee. And actually that's, you know, we never used to even talk about the coffee sort of wholesale coffee producing side of business. And now it's, it's a really strong part of the business. Yeah, that's fantastic and, to see. Yeah, when we get to Manchester, we'll be able to leverage effectively leverage it with hub and spoke style so we'll go up there and have another roastery in mm -hmm. in and actually then start supplying into either our own small brew bars and into other brew bars so it means we don't because it's so broad in its channel reach it doesn't have to keep opening big flagships and I, I really like that I like the flex in the brand and the way that the brand works not only just all day but it can work over different types different formats yeah which is which is great I mean, I, I I think it's still very early. I know it's been around a long time, Caravan, but it's still very early in its growth profile. So I think taking it to big cities outside of London will be exciting. And maybe even international. Oh, yeah. we You can imagine, like everybody else, we talked yeah. about that. I think one of the things about having me as a chair, I suppose, is that because I am so pro-international, having done it a few times, I'm I'm um, very keen. So we'll see. Watch yeah. that. Watch I mean, it's just one of the strongest brands in hospitality that we've got, you know, and it's just a pleasing brand, you know, everything about it. You look, you kind of check it out and you look at it and you kick its tires and you go, there's nothing wrong with this. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. You know, I just, uh, yeah, I, I really admire that one. I think it's great. I think the, the whole team have done such a great job. And then... Uh, they're really good fun, you know, when you have, when you work with people, I work, that's so important. Just, I really enjoy being with them. They have a great outlook on life. Fantastic. Yeah, it comes through. It comes through in the customer experience. And then what about the behemoth that is Flight Club? 
Yeah, well, Flight Club is actually part of um, uh, the holding company. It's called Red Engine, and mm-hmm. it owns Flight Club and um, Electric Shuffle, which are the two brands under the Flight Club um, umbrella. And this has been a phenomenal journey. Um, this, again, again, we're very strong, very strong creative and um, um, broader than creative. It's, it's a young team that has grown very, very fast there. Um, and what's really refreshing about it is they didn't come from hospitality. I'm the only person with really big hospitality experience there. Everybody else has come from, I think they were traders and, you know, they were, they were in the city. They were, they loved, they loved playing darts, but they actually, again, liked having a good time and they weren't hospitality people. And as a result, they don't function like hospitality people. So they'll, they'll say, they'll do things that we would never think of doing. Well, why not? Who's going to stop me? Why wouldn't I do it like that? So they, they constantly break the moles and do things we wouldn't do because they're obsessive about the experience. The experience is so important to them that they will constantly challenge the norm to make that experience great. It's really a tech company with a hospitality wrapper. That's the thing important to mention about Flight Club. We own all of our own tech um, and for both brands. And we have a really big tech team. It makes me feel like I'm back in my engineering days. I scuttle out of that department very quickly. But we have a big big, um, proper rocket scientist team (laughs) in the tech. Um, and and they uh, and that because it is so focused on the experience and the, t- the technical experience, the culture in the business is not like a, another hospitality business I've been to. It's it's very they're very young, they're very dynamic, they move very fast. We have grown incredibly fast. And think about it, I, I think they had two when I started. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and now we've seven in the UK. We, we've got five um five in the u.s flight clubs and two shortly to become three electric shuffles in the u.s alone we've got two about to become four in um sydney so we are growing globally just as quickly as we're growing in the uk and to grow on all those fronts as again the tech is all powered by the same people sitting in in islington it's it's quite a, a phenomenal experience and i think i learn just as much from them as maybe they learn from me because they are they are constantly challenging challenging what we would accept as the norm and they they have created something which is i would say world class in that experience and there are lots of very very good competitive socializing businesses i think they are right at the top in terms of that overall how they run the business and how they make sure that the customer experience is the obsessive right from the moment you book Mm. after you leave and you're delivering the feedback it's got the manager all the way through even the small the height of the tables where you put your bags, how you sit up, how you order your food, everything about it, all the little tiny details that are so important in hospitality, they nail them and they revive, rev, you know, review them constantly. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a very tech trait, isn't it, to keep A-B testing and, you know, and just keep iterating. It's never done. Yeah. I mean, I'm really um, driving constant innovation. So they don't just say, oh, well, we've we've launched arts now, we'll sit back. There's always new games or new new uh, plays or new facilities on the experience. So you can go back time and time again. I was trying to explain something the other day. You won't get tired of it because apart from this, it changes. So yeah. <laughs> like the Flight Club two years ago, you wouldn't recognise it if you went in today because the games will change and the experience will be different and they are constantly evolving and moving. And I think that's that's a fascinating bit to be with. It's really innovative, actually. Yeah. Well, there was a couple of things on that. One, um, just on the Red Engine point, I was so happy to see the logo and branding for Red Engine and the lengths that you went to to have something that looked incredible. Because B2B, 
sort of parent holding companies or whatever. Don't do that, you know? And I think the marketing they put out is such a pleasing font, by the way. But, you know, when, when you see it, you just think that tells a story about everything that they do, that they put as much care and attention not to just use Helvetica like everyone else. And they've actually got something crafted and well thought through and looks professional, you know, and, and would work in any market. So, and I think the things that they do on LinkedIn to show the team and show how happy the team are and show culture, I, I think really, really stands up. Um, on the flight club stuff, as, as you say, I mean, I adore it. You know, any time that I've been, I was absolutely open-mouthed when I was there about the tech and the slow replays as you hit the treble 20 or you did the killer thing or whatever it was. Um, but I remember one of my friends was doing the fire safety for one of them. And oh, he yeah. said he, he said he had his head in his hands because this particular one, they wanted <laughs> cuddly toys stapled to the roof, yeah. you know, yeah. and he's just going, oh my God, <laughs> you know. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, managed to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we just had teddy bears everywhere. We had to get rid of them. Soft <laughs> uh, furnishings and teddy bears in particular don't really go very well with, um, you know, parties and drinking. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, there's, there's maybe a, co a teddy bear cafe concept, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> a lot of general partying going on might work. Well, anyway, they're somewhere else now. I've gone to, you know, teddy bear heaven. But yeah, <laughs> go, going back to Builder Bear to be deconstructed. <laughs> a creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugarboat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. In terms of uh, competitive socialism, because it's super interesting, it is, you know, fairly fairly new in a lot of ways. You know, I remember doing a, a bit of work with Lucky Voice, you know, once I left lastminute.com and, and, and sort of looking at that. And I guess where Lucky Voice struggled was, as you're saying, getting people back and not feeling like they've done it. And then they'll do it once a year or once every couple of years. With all of the competitive socialism, not just flight club do you think you'll see increased growth there and and or do you think it's something that's over time or what you know what, what do you think is going to happen with that market well we track it obviously and we have repeat visits it's very interesting um we have quite a lot of business business bookings as well and so sometimes people go with their mates and then they say let's go back with my work colleagues and sometimes they go with their work colleagues and they bring their mates but the referrals and the repeat visits by somebody who went with one crowd and want to introduce another is huge so what happens is you go you're so impressed with the experience you take other people mm -hmm. it's 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 a business or an experience you want to take other people to you want to refer you want to go in and say hey guys let's have our next team outing here i went there yesterday with my mates and it was really good fun or you say i've done this a couple of times with work and it was really good let's have our stag party and this you know so people constantly um come back because they like to bring others and introduce the concept to others yeah. so first of all we find the repeat visits much bigger than you would think and I'm much more frequent than you would think. And the other the other part about it is it's a such an immersive, deep experience from the moment you walk in, from the moment you book, actually, that that it, it only goes very quickly. So you want to feel that again. So people don't come in and go, well, I've played that game. How boring. I'm not doing that again. Because 
you might play a different game. Remember, there's more than one game. You might decide you're going to eat first. You might decide you're going to go on somewhere. You might decide you're going to stay and just drink in the bars. The bars are phenomenal spaces. Yeah. So sometimes it's odd how, how frequently people do come back because it is not driven by I've played this game too many times. I, I would like to say, I don't know whether you've ever played gay, uh, darts in your pub, but I can tell you, because I live in the country here, that we've got a dartboard, an old-fashioned dartboard in my mm. pub. I see the same people in paying every day. Yeah. So I get the impression that you don't get bored of darts in this nope. country. Nope. <laughs> it's, well, it's just a perpetual search for the perfect 301 or 501, even at that basic <laughs> level, right? And you get better at flight club too. You think mm. I'm going to nail that next time. So yeah, I mean, uh, we have never ever worried about people going and never returning. Yeah, ever. I think I think my favourite was was Assassin was one of the games. Yes, and I loved that. Yeah, it's like killer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, it was it was absolutely fantastic. What so, do you think it says about you though? Just say again. What do you think it says about you? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, yeah, on this cuddly exterior, I'm a cold-hearted killer. Now we're on assassins. So yeah, this is this is a, this is a therapeutic session that I'm maybe <laughs> letting my mask slip slightly. <laughs> um, in terms of you then being a chairman for all these businesses as well, I mean it's a position that not a lot of people do and actually might want to do in the future. You know, what are the things that you've seen in terms of? the biggest challenges and the biggest way that you add value when, when you're in that? Because it is an interesting position that maybe you can't get too involved because that's maybe the CEO's job or the MD's job or, you know. So how, how do you operate as a chair? I think it's important to understand what are the skills that make you a chair or a good chair. And if you understand what those skills are, they are very different maybe to some of the other other more executive roles that you're thinking about. And, and I, I, I mean, I have always thought... Um, that I, I have throughout my executive career too been a good mentor. Mentoring is something I enjoy and I, and I do that a lot, not just for other professional women, but for other younger people that I would bring in into the sector. Um, so I'm constantly trying to champion, I think we said this when we met before, I'm mm. constantly champion getting in graduates into the, into the sector because I think that they never consider us seriously. So I do a lot of, um, of mentoring of young, young people who are starting out in their career. And, and therefore, so mentoring and the, the skills involved in mentoring are very similar to your role as, as chair. So there's, there's um, a, a lot of helping your management team be successful because they are the guys who are making the decisions. They're the ones ex executing the strategy, not you. What you have to make sure as the chair is that they get support from you and guidance where they need it and that they have the strategy that you that there's the right strategy and that they know that they are you're there to listen to them and and so therefore i think mentoring is just one of those skills which is it goes very well with being a chairman and if you're a good mentor then you tend to have i'd say sort of you know three really good skills i, I think first of all you you should um be strategic i think that helps so I was a strategy consultant. I think engineers are very good strategists. By the way, engineering is all about problem solving. So I grew up problem solving. Um, I, I became a strategy consultant and I was a strategy director. So actually being strategic is one of those great skills which I think make good chairman because you're, you are actually able to take your head out of the day job and out of the, the problems of the here and now and actually look, look a bit further and a little bit further around you. I think that's very important. Um, I think being able to listen is very important because actually you aren't about telling people you're really about listening listening to what's going on whether that be your shareholders whether that be your executive team whether that be your customers you just have to learn to listen and be very good at, and open to that 
And I think you have to be a very good communicator. So communication skills are one of those things which may become with a few knocks, I don't know, or gravitas or experience. But if you're able to communicate, then you're able actually to um, help manage the relationships, which are, well, I mean, many jobs are around people and relationships. Being a chairman certainly is. So you have to manage the relationship between the shareholders and your executive team, between the the, um, the customers and the executive team. You manage the relate, particularly directly manage the relationship between the funders, mm-hmm. that be a bank or private equity or listed shareholders, and the executive team that are there, and and also managing the interrelationship. So actually, if you're if you're good at communicating, then you're very good at managing and good at listening. So you've got empathy and you can communicate. I, I actually think those are one of the sort of best strength of skills i never felt stand back and let me do it somebody said that the other day don't you always feel like stand to one side and let me do it i because maybe i'm mentoring is my natural sort of modus operandi i find it quite easy to go in and support people to be their best selves and i think as a chairman that's what you want to do um I, you know, I, I've, for my sins, I've been around a long time. So there's a good chance that I know somebody or I've done something similar or I've experienced or the network. So I think being able to leverage that helps a lot. But you're only really able to leverage it if you understand when it's needed. <laughs> yeah. and, and and you understand when the problem is there and you, you have enough foresight and, and a sense of, I suppose, listening and awareness and empathy with what's going on so that you can you can then deliver that. Um, so... I I found, and I actually really, really enjoy it. And I enjoy it because I have, through my time with these three teams, helped build very strong teams. Um, and they are very strong, very driven, very ambitious, and very capable. So I've never once thought, I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. never much better than I am. Why would I do that? It's an easy mistake to make, though. You know, I've, I've seen it a few yeah. times where, you know, someone in a chair position and they are like, sitting on their hands and I could do it better and you know I, I think your approach is you know a much more sensible one I mean obviously if you've got an issue where you'd have a void then you are able to step in and fill the void and find somebody to fill the void that's different mm. but don't have a void that's not your job is not to make them stand to one side and you do it or even to tell them how to do it your job is much more supporting them to be successful um and I and I have um you know, I've, I find it very rewarding. I like uh, building good teams and strong teams. We all like winning, after all. Yeah. So it's always good to build a strong team. It does help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially at Flight Club um, or Electric <laughs> Shuffle. In yeah. terms of strategy, uh, just on that, as you have got such great experience in strategy, I find when I'm out, you know, consulting around town and all the rest of it, there is quite a misconception about being strategic you know I think a lot of people and a lot of clients go very quickly to tactics and they don't actually build that out and I see it in marketers as well you know they don't know the strategy bit or or how to do that is there any advice or tips or anything on you know how you approach um, you know setting out your strategy because uh, as I say it's just something that I come across time and time again that it it just isn't in in, in their uh, Awesome. Yeah, I, well, I I am. I suppose I'm a bit of a classic strategist, and I quite like data. Mm. So, so I, I and I listen. I said that before. I listen. So, I think it's important to gather data. So, listen. Start listening to people. It really matters. 
Um, and whether that means we'll aid some consumer research, which is obviously very important in setting out strategy, or whether it means I need to go and get some macroeconomic data, or I need to understand where the bank's heads are, or I, I need to actually go and talk to landlords, I need to, to gather the data. It's really important. Fortunately, nowadays, particularly in all the businesses I work for, we're very good at, um, at uh, analytics, so we're good at pulling data and acting on data. So in answer to your question, you know, you can't st- steam into tactics because you think you've seen this before and you know what happens unless you've actually done the analysis necessary. And and so I'm quite methodical about it, actually. It's been a long time in understanding, you know, and getting people to help me if I haven't got the right data. So, uh, you know, I think strategy te- technically is data-led or it's certainly analysis and data-led. I tend to, you know, it's always fine to have a hypothesis going into something strategy. My hop- hypothesis is we need to go to Paris, but actually I know nothing about Paris. So, yeah. why don't we, you know, so you have to start doing the work homework um, and you might need a hypothesis to guide you in your mm-hmm. research and data gathering, but, you know, it should only guide you. It shouldn't be actually the strategy and then you go into tactics. Good, let's find myself a site in Paris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's jump in. And just if you are at the top, so to speak, in terms of being a chair, it's almost about who watches the watchman. So how do you keep growing? Who do you turn to for mentoring and help and all these sort of things? How does that work? And I was sort of asking that of of Kate Nichols yesterday as well. You know, it can be quite lonely at times, you know, if you are at the top. So how how do you get a support system to, to help you as well? I don't view it as at the top, by the way. It's a okay. very, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, very yeah. never thought about it as at the or top. Or off to this off to this or all encom- all encompassing. <laughs> um so you know, I I um I, I, I first of all I, I I really do think it's teamwork. So I get as much from my leadership teams as I give them. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's not like I feel lonely or I feel that I'm not also on the receiving end of of, of input and guidance. So you know, and I think as human beings, we like to develop and like to learn, which is your point, really. You've always got to, you know, find ways of getting feedback and doing it better. So I think you can set yourself up to have that have that sort of 360 round um, support. Um, I, I am very fortunate and I'm plugged into lots of networks. So I spend a lot of time with like minded people. Uh, for some reason, I don't see short of people telling me what they think of me. So I'm, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Got lots of children, <laughs> so um, yeah. No, I I don't find it lonely, and I don't. I I find because of my experience, and I have still very strong connections with my past roles. There are plenty of people I can go and talk to, and I quite enjoy that. Actually, I think it's always good to um, to pick up the phone and go for a cup of coffee or a beer with someone, and then you can bounce ideas off. The sector is very supportive. I think yeah. COVID good for us for that you know we we might have been hugely competitive uh, at one point but i certainly haven't felt that i think we work together in teams very well yeah well i mean i found that because i'm an outsider really i mean i came from online travel and, and finance at bartley card you know as a loan shark for a while and uh, and basically when, when i came in to join robin at yo and and the team there I had never seen an industry so supportive of each other. And I think I remember I went to a meeting where Wagamama and, and Yo were in Islington were basically sharing their figures with each other, working together to say, how can we get people to come out more and come to us? And I was just like, my God, last minute.com and Expedia or Bartley Card and HSBC would absolutely not be doing that. Um, so it was quite an eye-opener, really. No, and and... 
it, you'll find, uh, I was trying to explain this the other day, because I work in, I don't know if I told you this, but I work in the, um, the the hospitality sector council, and we work across, in, across the sector with other people. And uh, the government officials aren't used to how supportive we are, because obviously in retail, they're much more cutthroat. <laughs> and and uh, in, re- in the sort of hospitality sector, more generally, we're not. And we will support each other and we will try and uh, refer each pe- uh, people to solutions. Uh, I mean, particularly, I think it, after what we've been through, um, it's a lot more collaborative than it ever has been. Yeah. And then as a chair as well, what challenges have you seen then since you've started doing it? I mean, obviously there was COVID, um, but, you know, what sort of big challenges have, have there been when, when you've been into businesses? Well, I think when you think about it, COVID was so large and so unexpected and and to be charging along and then to literally hit a brick wall overnight. So, you know, you went from doing five million a week to zero and that's a phenomenal abrupt halt for any business to cope and get through. So not to mention the shock of the unknown and the worry of your teams. So I, I thought if, if I was thinking of one massive challenge, it would have to be that. But then... Then the fact that we came out of it, the resilience we had to show to go through, well, now we haven't got any people. So the labour shortage, which I know you're very aware of, has, has been eye-watering and, 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 and is systemic. So it's not going to go away. As I said, this is almost here to stay. We are going to be in a, in a dearth of labour for a long time. So um, I, I think fighting that, that constant change of step change in in the landscape we, we're competing and then just when we think we've got on top of that we've all come up with how we're going to manage our people and give them what they want and hold on to them better we then go into a wall of inflation and then we have utilities we can't pay and we i mean it's it feels a, a little bit like we have such resilience now in the sector to constantly fight them so as a chair you are feeling that because at the end of the day of course there's a butt stop point yeah. <laughs> And um, you you, ha- you need to support your teams as to how strong they are because they they feel like they're going out to box every day blindfolded because around the corner they just got over one and there's something else coming to them. So the pressure, the inflationary pressure of the things I've talked about have, has been enormous for them to bear. So even if they manage to take the sales, and many people are still taking the sales, the bottom line has been horrific for most people. Yeah, it's kind of like a horror movie, you know, that little Chucky doll just keeps coming back, you know, you're like, I thought I'd killed you, you know, it's like, oh, it's back again, here we go. <laughs> um, so, thinking about, you know, the last conversation that we had, and, and uh, we, we were talking about, you know, potential chairs for Hospitality Rising, and I feel it's really important as we move to a new chair at some point, you know, I really, really want it to be female. Um, and we started talking in that area, and there is a bank if you like of you know females that are really well respected in, in hospitality i mean the people are sort of their go-tos isn't it for those kind of positions but what we were talking about was the next gen coming through and and, and how we do that so a i was i was going to just ask about what you feel the main obstacles are of why we're not at pure equality yet and then second to that how can we all support trying to get as many um you know successful women into leadership positions and set up for that uh you know successor plan as well yeah i, I mean I, I should say that i think in the industries i've worked with i think hospitality is the most diverse we're naturally a diverse 
uh, place to, to work. So the diversity is here. What we have to do is manage them up through the sort of uh, seniority ranks so that we don't lose them all. So there's lots of diversity in, in every sort of facet of it within the hospitality, more than there is, by the way, in, in building satellites or financial services. So, so there's an awful lot more here. So, so I suppose I, I feel very strongly, like many women leaders in the sector, that we must create on-roads, on-ramps, if you like, pathways for those to follow us. And we need to make those pathways easy, as easy as we can, because the talent is there. We've just got to drag them up behind us and, and, and help them fight those, those barriers. Some of the barriers are to do with making sure that you have the right number of women going in the hopper for a position so that there's a chance that they're going to pick a, a, a female leader. You, don't, you, you, you always want to hire the best person for the job, but what you need to do is make sure that at least they're in the selection process and, and to try and drive to make sure that, that it's possible for them to get there. I, th I think that's something that we all work very hard on, whether that be mentoring programmes, whether that be, um, you know, uh, uh, using technology, changing. Uh, in fact, we're doing quite a lot of work at the moment, a uh, huge amount of work, at, actually, in trying to make the day-to-day -day work of running a restaurant, being being effectively a leader of a team uh, or multiple restaurants, to make the admin for that not to be so all-encompassing or have to be on the site that you can't do that around a busy schedule that might involve children or it might involve caring or it might involve something else. So people who have time constraints need to be helped to stay in the role. And one of the ways that we can help them stay in the role is actually to make the job easier to do with technology or would that be process changes or whatever it may be. So I think we, we, are, we are all actively considering now how, what we can do to the role to keep as many women in for as long as possible because they are there. There's lots of talent. What we've got to do is make sure the pathways for them to follow up sort of management, management succession planning and leadership roles make it easy for them to be successful. Yeah. And, I and also I was talking to Kate Nichols about this yesterday. You know, you've got uh, the events and the seminars and the manals, as they call them, the male panels. Um Again, you know, what can we do there to make sure that those are, you know, gender diverse, but also diverse through all other ways as well? Because, again, I haven't been to a few events lately. It is still, unfortunately, male dominant. Yeah, I have to say, I haven't heard that term before. What did you call it? A manal. Manal. Male panel. <laughs> manal. <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Part of it, I think, is confidence, and so um, I spend a lot of time talking to other women in the sector, and I who are very who are very very competent. And I say, come on, why don't you put yourself forward? Why don't you go up and uh, why don't you do the headline talk or why don't you go on that panel? And they they tend to be underconfident, which I find deeply surprising because they're very capable, but just not very confident. So I think if we can just encourage them to do that, but that. I know that's difficult. I mean, I've never, I mean, maybe wrong, but I've never been lacking confidence as my <laughs> friends was as, as well. But I think it, it is something that we can try and help build. Um, so we should just encourage them. That's what I do with the, with the women that I mentor. I spend my life just trying to encourage them to be confident. And I've got all these little tactics for teaching confidence. And I just feel, I feel it's, um, uh, it, it comes, yes, it comes with age and experience, but it also comes with just a bit of self-belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, really important. And that, I mean, I'm very fortunate in that I I have three daughters. Well, they might not be as fortunate, but my three <laughs> daughters 
get lashings and lashings of believing yourself and be in charge of your own destiny coaching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they've got, you know, a great role model there to, to, to do that, you know? Um, but yeah, it's interesting, you know, and I spoke to Kate about this as well. I was listening to a, a podcast from Adam Buxton, the comedian, and, and he had a professor on, a, a female professor from, uh, she was actually Colombian. And, you know, she was saying there's actual data to show that, you know, men are, you know, just sort of will go for it, even if they don't think they know the whole subject, they'll just kind of go. Um, yeah. and Maybe then, out. Exactly. That's yeah. my point. <laughs> yeah. They'll sort of brass neck it. Whereas it's it's that even if you know the subject inside out, it's a little bit like, oh, I'm not I'm not sure I, you know, have the right to be talking about that. So yeah, I I, I think, you know, I'd be really keen to, you know, just find more ways of, of doing that. And yeah. and something Kate said was, you know, if you get invited onto a man as a man, um, you just say no and go, look, you need this needs to be more diverse. I'm not sitting on your panel. Which yeah, you know that's a very interesting challenge. I hadn't I hadn't even heard the term before, but I'm now really gonna look out for it. I, I <laughs> I think that we are the people who are organising these these manuals are trying because oh for sure try to to bring to bring on women so then that comes so that, so they are beginning to open up pathways. What we have to do is to give them the confidence to go for it because there are some really interesting and very capable women in the sector that would just need to go out get out there and I'm sure we'd all love to hear them speak. Definitely, um, and then manuals. Okay, this is actually about about. Um, trusting them and believing in them to take the next role to the next step up and and supporting them on that journey. Definitely. And thinking about the industry then, what are you thinking about, you know, in in your roles for the near, mid and longer term? Um, You know, some of the chat seems to be from a few calls I've had over the last couple of days that things look like they might get better, you know, in terms of economically, etc., but not till 2025. So, What's sort of in your mind's eye in, in terms of what you're focusing on near near mid and long term? Well, I'm relentlessly optimistic, as anybody who knows me will tell you. And 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 maybe naively so, but I am optimistic. So yes, I, I um I do believe it's getting better. I'm I think it will be better before FY twenty five. Um, but I do think it, it you know that, that that we will all get through this and so therefore we should stop being maybe as down and and, and start thinking of the, I mean things are holding you back us back our growth back are definitely confidence in the sector whether that be insurance companies utilities companies banks landlords there is a shareholders there is there is a, a general lack of confidence and so therefore we we need some green shoots and some success stories for people to realize actually we aren't dead as a sector and there is a lot of growth and opportunity there um i'm certainly as you probably know having spoken a bit not planning on um stopping anytime soon so <laughs> i i have um great plans for all three of my businesses all of which involve growth sometimes in this country sometimes internationally and and they're both in, in fact all three are in huge um uh sort of positions to take advantage of of the sort of the good the good following wins when they come so so i'm i'm not worried about going backwards i'm not worried about retiring i am excited about doing more growth and more opportunities going forward do i think that suddenly we're going to have a whole load of m and i don't know we've been talking about that for ages will it happen i'm sure that there's a wall of deals that have been held back that might suddenly come out of the of the woodwork um this year maybe but I, more importantly i think the businesses will start to grow again and and, the, and certainly my my three are definitely growing i mean mm. you know we've we've got um teams on sites 
on new sites and that's a great feeling again to be doing yeah. that super exciting and then just thinking about teams then so the recruitment uh challenges that everyone has what are you seeing in the sector and also in your businesses and what do you think we can do to fix it um i think i think we are i think i mean this is this of course might just be my view but i actually do think that we are get that there's a bit of getting better Mm -hmm. um so uh, the labor market is is relaxing a bit because we are um finding it easier to fill positions and certainly i've got a little bit more stability. So I'm getting the impression that it's not as bad as it as it was. In fact, we're noticing some quite big movements and some LTO numbers. Um, that doesn't mean it's solved. And as I said to you, it's systemic. So mm-hmm. I think the labour market and the issues to do with the cost and the availability are going to be with us for a, for a long time. Um, I think it's funny, I've just, I've just come back from Australia, which has an even worse labour market than we do. And it's interesting to see how they have changed um, customer journeys, order fulfillment processes, uh, some with use of technology, some just to do with different ways of working um, in a way that we have yet to see really hit us here. And I think more of that will come to us. Uh, it's fascinating when you go there because what they consider to be a norm, we would not consider to be a norm. So they are used to functioning in quite big spaces with much fewer staff than we would do it. So I, I think the necessity of changing the way we work will happen. Yeah. And some, and whether that be technology or just ways of working, I think it will happen. Um, and, and I also believe that that uh, we will we will find a way through, whether that be through the different changes I'm talking about, whether it be AI, which of course everyone's talking about at the moment, that we're, as you can imagine. Yep, that's my next episode, uh, next agenda. Thursday. Yeah, on the agenda for everybody at the moment. But yeah. And I don't mean that's going to replace people, but no. it's certainly going to help us function with with um, without the holes in our teams that we have had. And, and if it can make our teams more productive, that's actually part of the problem, isn't it? So I am seeing I am seeing that as an opportunity for us if we can harness that properly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be really interesting. And then, you know, we've just had some hospitality rising figures in um, that we're reasonably pleased about. So I think we've had 125,000 applications in seven months. Um, you know, which isn't too shabby at all. Um, but I'm really, really interested actually in a few things. One, getting stuck into the the uh, application process and ripping up the current way that we yeah. ask people to apply. Um, yeah. And I want it to be, I want you to be able to do it through WhatsApp, Alexa, et cetera, et cetera. Make, um, make it simple. Don't have to fill the same form in a thousand yeah. times, all those yeah. things. Well, I tell you, Jane, one of the best things we did, I've got a client up in Scotland called Buzzworks. They've got about 20 venues. And we did a TikTok recruitment campaign. It's reasonably backwater Scotland, right? It's not even Glasgow, really, or anything like that. It's where I grew up. And um, what we did was we we you know we we spent you know thousands of you know, tens of thousands of pounds on TikTok, but we got a thousand decent applications. But all the people had to do was write hashtag I need a job in the comments of the video. And then the community team just did the rest. And then the HR team who hated us because we gave them no details and no CV. But I was a bit like, you know, and I'm really going to bang on about this, you know, for for year two of Hospitality Rising. I don't really care what school someone's went to. You know, I think if they've got a can-do attitude and, you know, they they look like they want to serve other people. Um, 
then you know and help be helpful um you know yeah. I, I think there's you know something exciting about that so yeah i'm i'm really i'm really really keen that, that that we do that and we just really get stuck into the the under 30s i think that's our sweet spot as hospitality rising you know i think there's other people out there obviously but i, I think you know that's where we're performing extremely well there are lots of other people that we're gonna have to get back into work yeah. and i and, and i and i am um... Uh, you know, I'm still hopeful that we might have some movement on some visa programs. And there are all these things that we're all trying to see yeah. if we can. Yeah. So I think it'll be a combination. It'll be a combination of people like, you know, your great organization driving those people who wouldn't consider hospitality into hospitality. We're going to be we're going to be training people who therefore can see it as a more of a career, structured career. Um, I'm hoping that I'll eventually win over the universities. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. think I really do think that we will uh, get some help from technology, the process yeah. change. And, and the other interesting thing about traveling, which I do a lot anyway, is learning from other markets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really important to learn how other people who may have even worse problems than us are coping. Yeah. No, I think it would be great. And actually, there's maybe a future chat for us because I'm desperate to extend hospitality rising into schools and colleges and universities um, and and do it really well. You know, work with you know, employee engagement experts that do stuff for Nike and Spotify and, you know, and how can we have this amazing program that's leapfrogging every other industry, you know, to get them in. And I think my dream really is like, how can we just leave this industry? Because we're kind of getting to be the older people in it now. It's kind of ours. Um, How can we leave it in a much better state than we joined it? you know and and just be something to be proud of so no it'll be great i'm I'm really excited and thank you for your advice and help um the other week as well that was that was so helpful um so listen aspirational isn't it we want to make it aspirational because yeah. if aspirational people um are really um part of the sector and they can recognize actually people often follow role models and if they can look and go well i want to be just like that i want to be that cool guy in that tiktok video you know mm. they to associate with those people so we need to make it somewhere that it's really cool to be in it's a bit like i mean i don't know you've seen the army adverts but the army adverts are quite impressive yeah. myself what we've got to do is something like that yeah. <laughs> well do you know actually what happened with hospitality rising was that was the blueprint of it and then we were so lucky that we actually got the army's insight strategists and the defense global uh, strategists to actually do the campaign they did it for free so um so yeah so we're absolutely on the same page but to your point and the ad that i'm desperate to do still is the start here go anywhere so you know and and it'll be okay for us to go on and see you can start in the uk and then if you then end up in the bahamas working in a private yacht great you know just it's fine you know we don't all have to get married and 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 stay in our hometown um so you know we'll we'll work on that one um so yeah so last question i was just going to ask you just because um and I know about time as well, you need to get your barbecue. So um, I was just going to ask you, because you work with businesses with with such strong culture and the watchword on everyone's lips, actually, apart from application, is an attraction, is retention. Um, how do you go about, or what do you see from these brands that you've worked with on building strong teams and creating a strong culture? You know, what, what does it take to do that? Well, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. I believe that brands are built inside out. And this is one of my deep beliefs from my time at Nando's, that if the home team, the brand, the people in your business get your brand 
and actually really want to be part of it, then actually the customers feel that. So it becomes a cycle. And the brands which are built inside out have a very deep sense of purpose. Why are we here? What are we all about? What is the whole rationale of us being here? And if you can get your teams and your stakeholders, your suppliers, all of your sort of, whether it be frontline or the guys in the, in the sort of office support, if you can get them all aligned to why are we here, then actually what you end up with is 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 a is, is a much more tribal type of fit. I mean, I, I am quite tribal anyway. I suppose it comes from years being at Nando's and and you probably already know enough about me to know I like to lean in. But I, mm. I, I think people want to be associated with part of a tribe. I like to create tribes. I want to be with tribes where to be there and want to be proud of being in that tribe so i think all three of my businesses although they're very different they're all great tribes and our tribes are are the strength of our purpose and the rationale of why we're there and the brand that we're putting on the inside makes them feel people who are, who are part of us want to belong and if you feel like you want to belong then you want to blend in and it's little things like i want to do the extra mile i want to lean in i want to help them because somebody's not turned up to run that shift I want to really come up with a better idea for how we can manage the staff rooms. I really would like to solve the cleaning issue. You know, they help you solve your problems because they lean in and they want to be part of a success story and they want to be part of you. And you do things um, where you listen. I said it's very important to listen. You listen to your teams and you help them understand what it makes to make them proud of being part of you. Because when you're a tribe, you're proud of being a tribe. I don't, you know, it's a weird thing to say a tribe. I'm trying to explain yeah. how it feels to be part of being an inside. Yeah. You want to be proud of it. So, you know, um, it's you, you want to wear something that says I'm part of this tribe. I want an identifier to say that, you know, I am here. We used to joke about wearing that chicken, Bernando's chicken on your shirt, yeah. wearing it to the pub. That's because you're proud of it. Yeah. I'm saying I'm proud of this tribe. I'm going to wear my shirt to the pub. You know, if I'm not proud of it, I'm taking this work clothes off as soon as I finish my shift and I'm going down the pub in my sweatshirt. Yeah. But, but if I'm really proud of it, then I, I'm still wearing that, whether it be the badge, the cap, the hat. It's it's a, it's a signal that you are you really associate with the brand that you are part of, um, and you have to. It's a very um, when you build these brands from the inside out, the things that you do with your team are aligned to your brand. So um, in in Turtle Bay, very interesting Turtle Bay. Turtle Bay is a great fun party place to be. The people who work there enjoy dancing, mm-hmm. and in fact ever seen any of our videos you'll see that the guys they dance they may not be dancing well but they love dancing <laughs> together they dance behind the bars they dance behind the bars. they're yeah, very yeah. and we tend to encourage people who quite like being part of that team they like the music and they enjoy the um the theater I mean, there's a lot of theater in turtle bay whether it be dancing members of teams or people pouring you drinks or whatever it may be um so you tend to encourage people who who join that tribe they want to be part of that tribe they like wearing the things that associate them with that tribe and they want to tell other people to come and join their tribe. So what you start to do at that point is because we've got this deep sense of purpose of having a good time, a good time, good Caribbean time, you're having the vibes from Turtle Bay um, become such part of what we do. So I'm just using Turtle Bay as an excuse. There's yeah. tribes in all my businesses and, and they're very strong. And that that deep sense of belonging to something you believe in is what really underpins it. And and when you get that humming, customers feel it too. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember in, when we did a bit of work at Turtle Bay, you know, we were, I think we were, there was discussions about, you know, islands, you know, and that kind of, tri- exactly right, the, the tribal mentality. and But then all the islands together was, you know, the Caribbean and was Turtle Bay. Um, but then they all had their, you know, uh, sort of venues on their own. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I think with Turtle Bay specifically, it, it's infectious. Mm. You know, the vibes are infectious. You can't help but go away buzzing as a customer or I'm sure as as, as, as part of uh, the team as well, you know. Um, and then just on Nando's, just very quickly, did you see the latest Nando's ad? Oh, I did. Uh, what did you think? This must be the place. You mean this one? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was bang on. You know, <laughs> you know when you look at it, and I just thought, that's magic. They just got it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't actually know who did that ad, but I... Mm. I can have a guess. And I, I just thought it was magic. Yeah. You know, when you suddenly see something and you think, it was so on brand. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's because we feel that brand. The brand is so rich that you can feel it when you go into it. And, and it's built from this very deep sense of purpose and this sense of belonging and, and helping people and changing lives, which is exactly what under, under, you know sits in the centre of Nando's. And you feel it when you're there. Yeah. That love for being part of that. It, it is one of those ones where you almost felt relieved it was so right, you know, because a lot of yeah. people sometimes make the leap from restaurant brand to TV and it just isn't good. You know, it doesn't. Um, but I think, you know, Wagamama did it really well with Bolta, so I think Nando's was bang on. Um, and then McDonald's eyebrows uh, lately was, was was pretty decent as well. So uh, <laughs> it's, um, remember, Nando's hasn't made the leap. Nando's has been on TV in South Africa. Yeah early day doors so actually it's communications through its adverts have been epic as part of yeah. its journey the irreverent tone of voice that you associate with nando's has been part of nando's for a very long time yeah. um but but you are right that it's a relief because you want it to work because you oh, love yeah. it you think that is so bang on to the brand and, and i think the interesting thing and the fantastic thing about nando's is it's quite a big business now and you know there are new people and these people who are part of the brand now weren't part of it 10 years ago so it's the fact that the brand is so rich and deep that new people can come on and actually get it yeah. i think is just brilliant i know it's it made, made a lot me so, DNA yeah it, it made me so happy i mean i just very quickly the the you know the nando's viral things of old as well the i think one of the ones i remember was at new year they were handing out peri peri patches like um tobacco patches you know like nicotine <laughs> patches if you were having a withdrawal you know um i just thought that was absolutely phenomenal um but yeah i i, I was just so relieved when i saw it i just thought what a knowing just piece of communication like they, they know themselves they know their customer they know the culture they know you're just like oh this is jackpot um so yeah and they're the they're so um the inherent uh aligneness within the brand because they understand exactly what the dna is everybody does who touches it and that and they've worked at that i think it's fantastic yeah. because you can't you have to be conscious of it when you grow yeah i thought it was brilliant okay last couple of questions just fun stuff so uh we do this wee bit called mark out of 10 at the end and uh, we don't really mark it out of 10 but it's just some of your favorite things um so favorite city to eat in being well traveled mm, sydney oh okay <laughs> i like sydney uh, any reasons why um because you can go everywhere by boat which i oh, think really that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> Go round on the boat uh, to some fantastic restaurants. So I really like seafood restaurants and there's some amazing restaurants in Sydney. And I like coffee and some great coffee places and I like the vibe. Nice. Very cool, Sydney. And there's uh, some in Australia. Yeah. And then favourite hotel? Okay, there's a place called, um, um, was it Oya? <laughs> it's called Sunset Oya. It's a three-star hotel 
Um, and it's in Santorini. It's on the top, oh yeah, in the top end of Santorini. And the reason why I love it is because I mean, it's really, really basic, um, but it has the most fantastic views, uh, um, and it's in the most beautiful part of the world. But the real reason why I love it is there's two guys, um, Panos and Stavros, because they would be because they're Greek. Panos mm-hmm. run this hotel, and um, they make you feel like you are their best mates from the moment you arrive when you leave. They can't do enough for you. They literally, I walk in the door, their wine is out of the fridge. They go, James, back is the wine. And they always want to sit and have a drink with you or a cup of coffee with you. They have so much time for you and all my, my kids whenever I've turned up. In fact, I go there just for them. And I just find the hotel wonderful. Like, it's my happy place. That's a good answer. That's a good end, answer. All to do with people. It's not a five star. It's definitely a three star. But they make it five star. It's fantastic. Yeah. And and I think also, I mean, that's hospitality, right? It is, and they are. They just do it naturally and effortlessly. Very professional. Apart from caravan, if I can have this caveat, <laughs> what's what's your favourite coffee place to go? But I was going to say caravan. <laughs> of course you were. I was going to say caravan. How can I <laughs> well, okay. If I can't say caravan, I'm going to say the Dynamo in Putney. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you've and got links very... to that, no? Sorry? You've got links to that? Yeah, of course I have. Otherwise, I don't <laughs> say that. But no, the, the, the Dynamo is very, very cool. It's much grungier and less polished than Caravan. But at least we can get a Caravan coffee and get a really good oat milk flat white. In, yes. in the dynamo. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm oat milk all the way as well, being Brighton. So yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Favourite bar or pub? Um, throat bar or pub um, mm. <sighs> pick one or the other It'd be difficult um, actually probably like the, I've got this I shouldn't really say this should be but I'd probably go um, there is a there is a, a bar in Austin Texas mm-hmm. with the line hotel um, and it, at Line Hotel is where the beautiful people of Austin, Texas hang out and they all drink at the bar and then sit in the swimming pool because it's so hot in Austin and you, the bar is effectively the pool. It's brilliant. <laughs> and, in fact, Austin is a very, very cool place to go. Yeah, keep Austin weird. Yes, yeah. it, is, it is weird. <laughs> the fact that you actually have a bar and a swimming pool and it's and it's so hot and then all these people walking past and you're just sitting in the, in the pool 40 degrees drinking. That <laughs> sounds perfect. And then last one, favourite restaurant? Favourite restaurant. Okay, um, we're back in South Africa now. There's a place in Colk Bay called Harbour House. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Colk Bay. and It's near Cape Town in South Africa. And this restaurant, it's an independent. It's fish. I told you I liked fish. It's pure fish, literally from the sea. It's above the fish restaurant, and it's surrounded on three sides by the, the waves crashing over you and seals and you really feel like you're a little mermaid you're in the little mermaid, you're sitting there and you're eating fish it's wonderful nice that sounds fantastic well listen i'll love you and leave you um and you can get onto your barbecue and have some fun and a lovely bank holiday with your family so thanks for being on it's a real honor um that you came on to, to talk to me so thank you so much and i think the listeners will just get so much from it jane so thank you <laughs> oh, i hope so it's been good to chat Take care. Okay, see you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. So there we go. A fantastic, fantastic insight into what it's like at the very top echelons with the very top brands in hospitality from Jane O'Reardon. 
I can't thank Jane enough for taking the time to spend some time with me to have a wee chat and share her knowledge and share her experiences with us all. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time, we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks and tales that will make your brand boom.